Welcome back to Behind Our Door. Hi, Julie. Hi, Nancy. So today, you want to talk about the topic? Yeah, Our topic today, of the day. We're going to talk about family dynamics because we're mothers. So we wanted to bring in some different perspective about, uh, you know, how the family dynamics work when you have other people in your family, sister, brother, kids, wife, husband, suffering. Um, I thought that was an important topic, right? Definitely. I mean, it's something that isn't... Um, that when somebody really needs help in the family, the first thing they do is try and focus on that person. And the other family members really, uh, you see down the line, really have been affected. So so that's our topic today. Um, we have a really special guest here who um, I met years and years ago through the National Alliance on Mental Illness. He is an executive on many levels, but a uh, facilitator for a family support group with the National Alliance on Mental Illness in the Cook County North Suburban area outside of Chicago. And uh, this man uh, is just the definition of resilience. I, I see to say he balances it all is an understatement and uh, in looking at how to be resilient when you have challenges, one of the big principles is to you know, help yourself, but to help others really can make you feel better. Well, to say Chris has helped people is um, is not even cutting it because this man has a weekly support group that helps so many, um, can't even begin. And he has his own story, and let's get started. So, Chris, welcome. Great to be here. And, uh, hey, I, I, I got to listen to some of your work uh, uh, yesterday and today, and uh, – it's fabulous. So yeah, thank uh, I'm you. very uh, honored to be here. Thank, thank you. you. We're honored to have you. So um, so as I said, resilient, um, I know when you and I met, oh, I don't even know, over 10 years ago, um, yeah. you, I was actually a support group facilitator at a uh, hospital outside of Chicago, and you came in with your two uh, kids at the time they were kids. Uh, why don't we start there, maybe... Tell us a little bit about starting from way back. Yeah, well, the story, of course, begins way before that particular yeah, night. Right. But uh, um, what brought us to the family support meeting that day? Uh, uh, what happened is our, our, our family had exploded. Um, my wife at the time had uh, bipolar illness and also had... Uh, Anisognosia, right, which is a word I still stumble over, and I didn't know uh, until uh, a few years after that initial meeting I had with you. Um, that is the, for those folks not familiar with that term, that means a lack of insight into one's own uh, mental condition, right? Um, uh, first observed in people who have brain injuries uh, who believe things fervently that just aren't true or deny things that are obviously are true. Um, so uh, my wife was uh, actively symptomatic, uh, completely manic, uh, engaging in uh, a whole bunch of, of uh, very frantic uh, spending and um, spreading of uh, stories that weren't true, but were emotionally and uh, reputationally damaging. Um, and so, uh, and, and then she also filed for divorce, um, in the, while she was in the midst of the panic attack. 
and my two kids. Excuse me. Uh, one of them suffered uh, from anxiety. Uh, the other had major depression. Um, the one that had anxiety ultimately was diagnosed as bipolar uh, as well, uh, although bipolar two, which is not with full mania, but with hypomania. And, uh, and so they were, they were terrified of their mother at that time. They were, I'm sorry. They were what? Terrified. Oh. Um, so we had, uh, we had, I bundled them up and forced them to come to the meeting, uh, with me. I'd been, I think, to one other family support group at that point. I had found Nami just, you know, like a typical panicked uh, family member of a mentally ill person, like Googling at midnight and, and it popped up and I said, oh, support group. I, I want to do that. So uh, not that I was all excited about support groups in general, but I experienced that a little bit in my own uh, mental health treatment. And so I knew something about it. And uh and my kids uh, both were in uh, alternative high school settings. They were in therapeutic uh, uh, schools designed for kids with mental health issues. And they, too, had been in uh, a group therapy. So I figured that was a good place for us to start. Um, and so that's how it all uh, began. That's how our relationship began, Nancy. So uh, right. And, and uh, one thing led to another. And um I decided that uh, NAMI was going to be the place where I began my education uh, when it comes to mental illness. I took the family-to-family class shortly after uh, that time I sat with you in Highland Park. Um, And I put up my hand at the end uh, and said, uh, hey, you know, uh, one thing that NAMI should do, you know, the family support groups only meet monthly. And that's wholly inadequate. You know, crisis, a crisis can't wait a month. You know, you, you right. need to get get to a group as soon as possible. Um, they really need to be weekly. And they said, great idea. How would you like to become a facilitator? <laughs> and so, uh, so that's, that's how it happens. Yeah. And I said, well, I opened my big fat mouth. So yeah. I, and you know, you've done I'm, that. You've done this how many years? You've been a facilitator every, every Saturday for how many well, we started out, as, uh, initially there was a once uh, a week uh, Saturday morning family support group in Evanston, Illinois, a uh, suburb right north of Chicago. And um, I thought, well, we, we should at least do it twice a month. So um, that started, we started doing it twice a month in uh, 2000, late 2012. And then that's, that proved to be inadequate. So we went weekly, I think around 2013 or so, or 14. I don't really remember, but it's been going every week uh, for at least seven or eight years now. That's wow, great. that's great. So, so you're saying, which is, um, you know, first and foremost that, uh, and, you know, just with your whole story and, I mean, God, you really have, the challenges are beyond um, family-wise, you know, how how old were your girls at that point that you're that you first were reaching out for help? Sarah was uh, fifteen, and Andy was nineteen. Okay, oh, so wow. teenagers. Yeah. yeah, they were teenagers. Um, but for the sake of our listening audience, you're you're saying first and foremost that reaching out for help um, 
to talk about it with others was helpful for you? Oh, it was critical. Um, I mean, support groups in general, aside from, you know, uh, whatever the organization is, support groups are great medicine. Yeah, uh, for a lot of reasons. The first first and foremost, of course, is um, these things are very frightening when they happen to your family members. Um, you don't, and, and, and while I should have known uh, more than I did at that point in my life, I didn't really know enough. Uh, my dad had bipolar disorder, so I knew about it. Uh, but my relationship with my father was so crappy and I had such a bad attitude towards him uh, because I thought he was just, I had the typical uh, uh, normal person's uh, view of a mentally ill person, which is, you know, you're, you're lazy. Uh, you're not taking care of yourself. You know, just rub some dirt on it and get on with your life. You know, right. quit, quit laying around like a lump. And, right. Or quit doing all this crazy stuff you're doing when you're manic. And uh, and he, he was unable to work. He, he had to quit working. He went on disability. And I held him in great disdain, you know, which was wrong and unfair and shame on me for that. But uh, the fact is, I didn't know any better. I was yeah, a dumb Way man. back, people didn't talk about this as much as they do now. Well, back then, if they didn't call it bipolar disorder, right. they called it um, manic depressive uh, illness. He's a manic depressive, which that's that's a mouthful. Um, so did you have at that time now, now even looking way, way back, did you, do you have siblings? I had one, I have one brother, older brother, eight years older. So, so did that brother, uh, react in the same way you did or, um, well, my, my dad, uh, growing up in that? mental illnesses are like any other illness. If they, if they're untreated, they get worse over time. So I, I believe that my dad, uh, since there was a large age difference between my brother and myself, I don't think my brother experienced the same father that I did, to be honest. Oh, that's uh, interesting. So, uh, so you know, I, I believe that my dad was much more engaged in my brother's life uh, than he was in mine. He was, you know, shut down. His his uh, bipolar illness uh, tilted towards depression uh, more than than mania. He would he would be depressed for a long, long time, and then have a a manic episode that would last a few days and then he'd be right back into depression. Um, and I do Did believe he acknowledge that he had any issues, uh, mental health issues at all, or did, did he seek help? Was he on medication? Yeah. He, he actually did all of that. You know, oh. uh, he had a psychiatrist. Uh, he, he had to have a psych psychiatric diagnosis to get on disability. Just like today, uh, it was probably a little easier back then than it is today. Uh, but, uh, he, he saw a psychiatrist. There were, you know, the medication regimens that were available back then were very limited. Um, my mom stuck by him the whole time. I think wow. she was uh, uh, probably his therapist more than anybody else. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, don't get me wrong, it wasn't a terrible uh, childhood or anything like that, quite the quite the contrary, but, you know, my dad was kind of the man that wasn't there because of his illness. How um, old were you when you understood or started to suspect there was something going on with your father? Oh, what are the uh, signs for children who are, are dealing with a parent and, and how do you react to that? 
Well, I, I distinctly remember high school. I was I knew for sure that he was uh, having trouble, and I was having trouble too in high school. I was you know misbehaving terribly, and uh, you know fortunately uh, decided I did want to avoid what many of my peers were doing, which was getting so deep into uh, uh, drugs and misbehavior that many of them died of that activity. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, I was aware of it in high school. And then when I was in college, you know, I was, I got so agitated about it. I actually made an appointment with my dad's psychiatrist to go see him. And back in those days, there was no HIPAA, right? Right. So I just went to see the psychiatrist and said, Hey, my dad is seeing you, he's been seeing you for years and you know, he's still screwed up. What gives? Okay. It was pretty, it's pretty, uh, um, pretty, you know, you know, free, uh, uh, adult for you to go when you were in college to talk about your father, you know, to figure out what's going on and see how how the psychiatrist looked at your dad. Yeah, I don't know why I did it. Actually, I can't. You know, it's you a why. young. It's a young I was, age. I, I just got agitated and yeah, decided to do you. something. And then and my dad found out about it, of course, and he just was so angry at me. Um, you know, he was he was furious that I did that. Plus that, you know, I was such an, a, a dummy that I didn't realize that if I made an appointment with a psychiatrist, sat with them, even if I wasn't talking about my problems, he was still going to charge me. <laughs> <laughs> so there was, there was my beer money for the whole month, you know, so yeah. really unhappy. But, uh, yeah, so I, I should have known better uh, when I uh, got involved with uh, my second wife, my, my, the wife that had bipolar disorder. I should have recognized the signs earlier, but she was, you know, she's a, a painter, a fabulous painter, extremely talented and, uh, you know, graduate uh, of the School of the Art Institute. And uh, I just thought, well, it's artistic temperament, these these flashes of, of rage and, and, and uh, you know, crazy stuff that she's doing. It's just, yeah, it's just the way she is. And uh, uh, I, I entered this, the, the realm of, of denial uh, of, you know, well, if everything's going to be okay, I just have to work harder. Uh, you know, I got to, you know, if she's spending more money, that means I got to go work harder, make more money. So we, you know, we stay in the black and you know, that kind of stuff was going on uh, for over 20 years. So. But do I, you feel like, I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, but do you feel like growing up with your father kind of set this precedence that you, it, it, it kind of becomes your normal, like, it's your normal, right? So it's something you're used to. So meeting your then girlfriend, right? She had become your girlfriend before your wife. Um, it was something that you were used to. Yeah, I, I think that uh, maybe at some level, for sure, you're imprinted uh, with your childhood experiences and and your parents are your first role models. And, and you kind of, uh, when you go through your uh your attachment process as an adult, you, you tend to gravitate towards patterns that you recognize. Do mm -hmm. you think that's the norm, more or less? That I think it, I think it's, you know, certainly a lot. There's all sorts of pop psychology on that topic. Yeah, but I'm sure there I is. I believe that, uh, you know, it's not an accident that uh, uh, I was uh, uh, attracted to somebody who had undiagnosed bipolar illness. My first wife, uh, was an adult child of an alcoholic. And oh, by the way, my dad was also an alcoholic. So, you know, uh, right. there you go. I was, I'm also an adult child 
of an alcoholic. So, you know, you could argue that I was a textbook case of uh, uh, following my childhood imprinting. And, and the and the parent that I held in highest disdain imprinted me most deeply when it came to romance. So, you know, there you go. It makes a lot of sense, though. Well, I don't know. <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> I don't know whether it makes sense. We do any what sense. we know. We do what we know. When we, we know better, we, we do better. better. <laughs> okay. I suppose that's true. But now now I think that uh, I've, now that I've recognized it, um, I can put it into my, you know, the executive function instead of the uh, background noise and deal with it more uh, intelligently. Yeah, it's interesting to me because we've known each other like, a, you know, quite some time and that I never knew this about your father. But yeah. I look at it where then you had the wherewithal to take two teenage kids, 14 and 18 or whatever you said they were, to uh, a support group on, you know, one of the toughest nights or days of time for them at that moment um, because then you were trying to break break the pattern of okay I got to get some real help here and you know at the same time you were lowering the stigma bar by saying let's go to a place where everyone's talking about it right you know you you were doing something different than you experienced as a kid that's for sure oh yeah we never I never got any sort of. I don't uh, think there were support groups like that forever, you know, way back. So, not yeah. that the, not that you're old, Chris. Well, you know, <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I, I'm very proud of being old. Thank you. <laughs> but what did it look like? So you meet your girlfriend, who then uh, becomes your wife. What, what does that look like? You were talking about her expenditures and and what else for for people who are living it who may not who may suspect that their loved one has an illness but are unclear what are the symptoms what are they looking for oh boy um well quick shifts in um uh mood their opinion of you okay um what I would, what I found with my ex, is uh, when she was feeling positive towards me, mm-hmm. it was glorious, right? Because she would uh, go out of her way to do things for me. She held me in high esteem, put me on a pedestal. Um, it was amazing. But it could flip like that. Um, something would happen that would trigger her and suddenly I was the devil incarnate and, you know, the curses would flow and sometimes, uh, you know, uh, the place would fly mm-hmm. and a lot of bad stuff would happen. There would be a, a, an enormous amount of rage all of a sudden. Uh, so that was uh, uh, something that baffled me for quite a while. Um, and I wasn't quite sure to do what to do about it. And I was also embarrassed by it. I didn't really want to tell anybody about that. Because essentially uh, you were in an abusive relationship. Well, you know, I didn't see it that way, uh, of course. And, it, you know, it's, it's funny, my, uh, the older of our two kids towards the end of the marriage, you know, when, when, when finally the, uh, the fertilizer hit the ventilating system, uh, we, um, and she said to me, you know, you're, you've been in, uh, you're an abused spouse is what she said to me, uh, which was a stunning statement it's to coming me. Coming from your kid. Right. Yeah. To hear that from, and I certainly didn't, um, 
I didn't fit, fit my self concept at all. I was an investment banker and I was, you know, hard charging uh, executive type guy. Nobody's going to abuse me, but you know, that was kind of what it was, I, I suppose. So, uh, so yeah, that was, uh, so that if, you, if you're ever in a situation where uh, somebody is uh, shifting from uh, excessive uh, concern for you and, and shifting from high praise and, and love and all that sort of stuff, adoration to fury and insults and, you know, maybe some form of, you know, certainly emotional violence and, and maybe even physical violence. Uh, well, you, you got You got a problem there. Right. Um, and then the other symptoms are sort of the classic ones. Um, uh, you said heavy spending. Heavy spending is one. Also, staying up all night and doing working on something. Uh, uh, my uh, ex would uh, stay up all night painting, working on a portrait, right? Which mm-hmm. I said, "Wow, that's awesome!" You know, she's really a great artist. You know, no, she was manic as hell, and she was she'd paint for two days straight. That's not normal. Okay, you need to sleep. So, you know, people that don't sleep. Um, uh, going from eating a lot to eating nothing, uh, use of alcohol, uh, changing patterns in alcohol use, you know. And when I say all these things, by the way, just to be clear, um, this is a good person that I was married to. Uh, she's a very good person. Um, the illness of the symptom, when she's symptomatic, she could be very uh, cruel. But I always, you know, as we say in NAMI, I see the uh, see the person, uh, not just the disease. And uh, she, she, she's a very good person with with, an, with some amazing uh, talent and and also can be one of the more, most generous people you'll ever meet. So I don't want to be sounding yeah, like. No, we, we don't doubt. Uh, no, that. I think that's a valid point. I think often we see the illness instead of the person. And, you know, when they're not stable, it's hard to see the person through the illness and you're, we're really mad at the illness. So clarify that for people that are suffering that we're not mad at the person, we're mad at the illness, but the frustration manifestation of it, we don't know what to do with. Yeah. And then I got to a point uh, where I realized, okay, I'm, I'm in this relationship with this person. We tried to do, you know, uh, various forms of therapy together and, uh, it would always end up um, poorly uh, because um, uh, my spouse uh, would uh, feel that the therapist and me were ganging up on her. Right? Was she was she personally getting help at this point? I mean, was she in her own therapy? Was she on medication? She had, she had a uh, she would have therapy. She had therapy, but she didn't have really consistent uh, therapy from the same person. Uh, she would burn out her therapist, or she would, because she would get angry with them and then terminate. Did she was she on medication at all, or? Well, that's another story. Um, she would only go in for uh, help when she was feeling depressed, oh. and so what what they what she tell the uh, psychiatrist is I'm I'm depressed and I'm feeling anxious, and so she got prescribed. Uh, you know, SSRI antidepressants. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about those drugs 
as you may be aware, if the, if you're uh, bipolar uh, and you take those drugs, they can trigger mania. Yeah, they yeah. say it's the quickest way to scariest and quickest way to learn that you have bipolar disorder is when yeah. something like That's Prozac. Exactly and, yeah, she discovered. Oh, this is perfect because Annie loved. I mean, my ex spouse loved being manic. It's a, it's I guess a pretty exciting thing to be. And also, you know, bipolar people are, are terrifically charismatic. Mm-hmm. So um, my ex had a, like kind of a uh, an entourage of, of, of people that surrounded her. You know, they, they were all artists and, you know, she opened up a gallery and would put on shows for these young people. And I mean, she had she had, you know, a community around her that would then explode every time she she went over the top you right. know, and did a, did a rage uh, routine with one of them. Uh, so, yeah. Mania uh, is fun. Mania is, I always say that with my kid's father, with him, mania is fun. Those are the people you want to be around. They're the oh, party yeah. in the room. Until they're not. Until they're not. That's right. Well, I think the ideal state, if you can manage it, is, is hypomania, where uh, you're not quite, you know, destroying yourself. Uh, but you're still full of that energy and self-confidence. Um, I suspect that a lot of our leaders and celebrities are all hypomanic, and they just managed to figure out how to stay in that that state um, and and be able to sleep and eat like a normal person. But, um, but maybe anyway. we wouldn't, we don't know what happens behind closed doors either. Though. Yeah, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> so, so so to you know, listening to this, uh, I think about how incredibly difficult it would be to then put on your hat to be the father of two children when you're balancing out this really tough um, struggle with your spouse. Had you, how did you start to manage to, you know, and, and you also have these huge jobs, you know, you work full time and at this very high level, then you have, um, you know, so much to balance to keep, you know, to keep the kids as stable as, as you can on a daily basis. How, how do you do that? How did you manage that? Uh, poorly, I would say. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that was that was part of the issue. Is um, much was going on at home uh, that I didn't know about. I still don't know what went on because I was uh, traveling quite a bit. Um, what are the and, things you do know that were happening at home? Um, well, I think that there was a, a, a great deal of, of, uh, uh, shouting and, and denigration going on between, uh, mom and kids. Okay. Uh, and also things were happening like, um, when our second child was born, uh, my, my ex-spouse would tell other people. And I think told uh, our older child, uh, my favorite kid is your sister. Um, you know, that that's not a good thing to hear when you're a kid. No, that had to be uh, devastating for her. Yeah, and I think that that, and, and then, of course, that set up a, a, a terrible dynamic between the siblings. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of, uh, uh, more than the, uh, normal level of sibling rivalry going on. Um, 
So, uh, which continues, by the way. So that's, uh, you know, I, I kind of maybe, you know, it, when I look back on it, I think I was also just avoiding my problems by working a lot more. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's know. a common, mm-hmm. I mean, especially, I like did, I said, I a high-level job, you had jobs and your career was yeah. huge. I think I did that quite a bit. But then when things got bad, you know, then I became, uh, you know, I became a single parent long before I was officially single. Yes. My, when when my uh, ex got uh, real manic, she took a uh, she rented an apartment uh, and would spend the nights there. And and she said, "Well, this is where I, I need more space to paint," which was kind of funny because we were living in you know this rambling old Victorian that she wanted to live in uh, at the time. But nevertheless, she said she didn't have the right space, so she got this apartment. And then she would spend the night there or sometimes, you know, she'd be there all week and then just just traumatizing to the kids, you know, like where's mom at night they were in. Yeah. Well, they were, they were older at that point. I think it it was actually more of a relief to them in some ways. And, and, uh, and so, uh, so I I would come home from work and many, and it started out being, okay, now I come home work. I got to get food on the table for these kids and, you know, check, see if they're doing their homework and, okay, let's make sure they get it, you know, make them lunches, you know, just, just the classic stuff that every, every, uh, you know, all the women have to do this. This is, it's only fair that guys have to do it too, I suppose. But I, I was sort of, you know, I was slammed with, with tasks. Uh, so, so that, that, that went on for a number of years, um, you know, maybe four or five years, I think, starting, Probably twelve, a uh, couple of years before I met you, Nancy. I would say. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that's it's a lot. <laughs> that's what went on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, becoming a single parent, even when you have another parent there, it it is a lot, and trying to work a full time job and and balancing. I only had one kid, so I can't imagine having two children, and and then. At some point, their own illnesses started to, to develop. And how old were they when that? When you noticed that? Um, well, you know, in classic form, it happened in adolescence. You know, where mm-hmm. so many uh, mental illnesses emerge. And uh, Andy, uh, what what it happened? <laughs> oh man! Stop me if I'm talking too much about old times here. But what happened basically was uh, Andy started having uh, some some issues uh, at her, at the local public elementary school, same school that my two older kids went to from my first marriage. And uh, and Andy came home and went one day when she was in fifth grade and says, "I want to go to this private school. Uh, I think I'd be happier there." And we said, "Well." Uh, we'll think about it. And we looked into it and we said, well, you're sure you really want to go there? Yeah, I really want to go there. So she went there and she just had a terrible time. It was miserable and uh, hated it, did okay academically. And then at that point, my uh, my wife at the time said, well, you don't have to go to school. I'll homeschool you. So here's my bipolar wife homeschooling my uh, wow. bipolar daughter. Oh. <laughs> we hadn't, neither, of which, neither of them had been diagnosed. So for a couple of years, Andy did that. And then I said, okay, look, you got to go to high school. 
you can't just be home schooled. And we were hiring tutors and all this sort of stuff, and it was getting expensive. I said, you got to go to high school. I'd rather pay tuition to a private high school if that's what you If you can't handle Evanston Township High School, huge place, uh, fine, we'll find you a smaller place. So we sent her to a small all-girls school, and she lasted uh, until Thanksgiving and then had a, 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 a psychotic break. Oh, uh, or I guess not psychotic, just a break. She came home one day before Thanksgiving and said, I'm never going back there again. Uh, and there wasn't really a lot of uh, uh, signs that that's where she was headed. There, you said there were not signs? Not really, no. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there was all sorts of, uh, she was sort of acting out. So we actually uh, put her in a, a partial hospitalization program. She was 14 years old at that time. And, uh, and the private school just basically kicked her out. Right. You know, they, they don't care. No. Uh, that's the other, that was my other lesson is if you have a mentally ill kid, uh, I guess you can find a special school for mentally ill kids. It's a private school. But, you know, most private schools don't want anything to do with these people. Yeah. That, that we, we've had a guest on talking about IEPs. You have to get your kid in an IEP. So that's a whole different gamut in right. itself. If you can't get it this, this school did not allow IEPs, uh, to my knowledge. So, so anyway, we, end, we ended up getting, putting her back in public schools and did get her on an IEP and then got her assigned to uh, an alternative classroom Thera- set. Therapeutic school. Yeah, therapeutic school. Um, so that was... That must have been better. Did that work out a little better? I mean, how did they... I'm sorry, go ahead. I, Andy did find, find their feet and... Uh, and did manage to uh, graduate. Uh, I think there was one year later than normal, but got through. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that worked out okay. With Sarah, my youngest, um, she made it to her freshman year in college before she had her breakdown. And mm-hmm. then we did the same, went through the same drill, and she ended up in the same uh, school. As a matter of fact. Uh, Andy, I think, had already graduated or was just about to graduate because there's four years between them. So, uh, so that they both their illnesses both emerged at the same time. Hmm. How how old are how old are your uh, two now? These two that you're talking about, kids. Andy is thirty and Sarah's twenty six. Okay. And how how are they now? I mean, how um, well are they? They're, uh, they're they're stable, um, okay. which is great. Yeah, and yeah, they get help and. Um, yeah, yeah, I think. Well, Sarah's been in therapy with the same therapist since she had her first issue. Uh, and that's, that's been great for her. Yeah, that has been good. Sarah's had about four suicide attempts, three or four. Oh, um, various severity. Um, and now one, you feel like she's more stable? I think that she's. Uh, the last time she was feeling suicidal was. Uh, summer of 2020, and she checked herself into. Uh, wow, and that's something she checked herself in. Yeah, she she got herself into Illinois Masonic, uh, and so uh, uh, so I think that you know she still gets depressed. She also I think had, she has an eating disorder. Um, she's you know 
a very large individual now, and she wasn't when she was a kid. So, um, and that's partly because of the medications. She's, sure. Yeah. On antidepressants primarily right now, but you know, I have gotten to the point where I try not to stay. I stay out of her uh, uh, treatment plan. That that's her business. Mm-hmm. See, and that's important for people to hear. That's really, um, you know, that's commendable, and it's it's probably the best thing on earth to have her accountable for her own well-being. You know, well, and getting the, help and. and in the family support group, the NAMI family support group, our, uh, one of our mantras is, you know, look, you can you keep the door open if somebody needs help. You say, right. look, I'm, I'm here standing on the other side of this door. I'm available to assist you in accessing care because the mental health system is very confusing, even for people who do not have illnesses, right? It's the healthcare system Absolutely. in general is a challenge to navigate in insurance and every other darn thing. So I'm here to help. Um, and maybe some of that help is going to be financial. Uh, what if if you have the resources to provide the, that that sort of help? Uh, but I'm here on this side of the door. You're on the other side of the door. You have to walk through the door. I'm not going to come over to your side and try to drag you over to my side. Right? Uh, because that never works. Okay? There's going to be resistance, particularly if it's a, a parent and a child. There's a natural dynamic there. Uh, that arises in adolescence and continues on, which is I am an independent person, mom or dad, and mm-hmm. you can't tell me what to do anymore. Yep. You know, uh, I'm not going to do it. In fact, the fact that you suggested it makes me not want to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. A stranger can suggest it and they'll say, oh, that's a good idea. But, you know, <laughs> right. mom and dad so can forget it. No, that's stupid. You're idiots. Okay. So, you know, stand on your side of the door, make it clear that you can help, uh, and then let go of the outcome because you don't control that. Right. It's that tough love. It's hard, but it's... Yeah. I, I, I don't term it that way because I, I, th- I view it as, as detachment with love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. a nice... It's a... See, and my word is, is boundaries. You have, to, you have to set boundaries yeah, it's a, f- for your own... For your own mental health to save and that ultimately is what we talk about a lot in, in the family support group is the only thing you can work on is your own actions and reactions. Yeah. And it makes everything stronger around you than in some and way, shape or form. You can't live somebody's life for them. They're on their own path. Right. Uh, and, and whether it's a spouse or a parent or a kid and uh, you can be concerned, uh, but you can't, it won't help uh, to worry all the time. About, right. uh, or to try to forcibly intervene and control because it almost never works. Does not work, right? Yeah. And, and sometimes you have to let it. You have to let them go. Exactly. Exactly. You cannot love people well. And we have we've had uh, several uh, participants in our program in our in our group that you know their kids have ended up homeless because mm-hmm. they've moved hither thither and yon. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're heartbroken, and they're they're trying to figure out what to do, uh, and there's not much for them to do. No, uh, except try to do things for themselves. You know, start to right. work on yourself and healing, um, healing and uh, and just a plan of action for yourself. Correct. That's absolutely right. 
Yeah, because if at some point in their life, whether it's your, your child or your parent or your spouse, if they decide to walk through that door, you want to be in a good mindset and healthy enough to actually help them. Right. If you're not in that space, you can't help anyone else. Yeah, uh, well said. Uh, I think that the the biggest challenge, you know, there's there's a, I'm I'm thinking of one conversation that happened not long ago from one of our uh, support group participants. It's a gentleman. Uh, I think he's uh, he might even be a little older than me. So I'm surprised that's even possible, but I think. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> And he uh, he has a, a son in his 40s, and uh, the son has had, uh, or maybe even 50s, his son has had uh, a live-in arrangement with a, uh, what initially was a girlfriend, but now it's kind of like a roommate. And the uh, the roommate calls the dad periodically and says, you got to get rid of this guy. You know, the, the, the individual's got undiagnosed but severe mental illness of some kind. And dad said, well, I'd be glad to help, but, he, you know, he, he won't talk to me. You know, he doesn't respond when I reach out. Uh, I've come and knocked on your door, and he comes down and sees me and says, go away. I don't want to see you. Uh, there's, there's nothing I can do. I, 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 there's all sorts of things I'd, I'd love to do, I've offered to do, but there's nothing I can do. That's correct. He's right. But that we're, here's where he kind of goes off the rails. He says, and all I can do is think about this and worry about it. And I, it's a heavy sadness on, on my heart at all times. And I, I never, sometimes I wake up at night and I, all I can do is think about how, how I don't have a good relationship with my son and it's awful and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, hey, I get it. You know, I totally get it. But, uh, you know, if you uh, obsess on that emotion, that 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 sense of, loss and, and, and frustration uh, and, and not be not have the ability to just let go of what you can't control, then you're just going to never achieve anything that approaches something like inner peace. You're just going to be constantly mm-hmm. yeah. and, and a family member. Yeah, and to have the realization that all that worrying and ruminating doesn't help the other person. No. It help, it just makes you feel worse. And I say that I'm an overthinker, so it's the most hypocritical thing that if anyone knows me. Well, I, <laughs> but I, I, but I, uh, but I do know. know that does not help. No. And I, I think what caregivers fail to realize is it's, it's okay for you to be happy. That's such a, that's a good statement, Julie. That's it's, really true. It's okay. You know, and if anyone to suffer. anyone listening to us needs to hear that, it's okay. Yeah, that's all. That's all true. And the other thing that is great, uh, another uh, participant in our group said, "Well, my therapist told me, you know, I I was fretting about my daughter and trying to come up with uh, strategies to help her." And the therapist asked me, "Well, what if you've already done everything you can do?" Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that's a question all of us who have mentally ill uh, loved ones need to ask ourselves. And then the, the temptation is to always say, well, I, there must be something else I can do. Mm-hmm. 
I should be able to figure this out. Um, I'm a dad, okay? Uh, dads figure things out. They fix stuff. I'm, I'm a fixed managed control guy. Um, I'm an executive. I can bluster and, and bully my way through any business deal. Uh, you know, sometimes I fail, but I can still, you know, show up and bang my chest and make people pay attention to me. That doesn't work with mentally ill people. No, it just doesn't. It's, it's counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, part of what you have to do is learn how to speak to them. Uh, and one of the things that, uh, you know, it's almost a little handbook that we hand out, that we don't hand it out, but we suggest people get their mitts on uh, uh, I'm Not Sick and I Don't Need Help by Xavier Amador. Uh, oh, yeah. Which, great which book. Is a, it's which a good is a suggestion. Great book. Yeah, that, that's a great name. I, I view that as, as kind of like a uh, introductory book on how to be a family member of a mentally ill person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and learning how to speak to them, learning how to uh, be less reactive, uh, working on yourself to be able to pause between uh, stimulus and response, um, all those sorts of things. The other piece uh, of, uh, of the pie here, however, is there's a, another uh, rule that we talk about in group which I feel strongly about, which is safety first. Mm, you've addressed that. Yeah, you've addressed that in many of your your uh, uh, episodes, I'm sure. Uh, which is, you know, look, if somebody is uh, threatening you, or is being emotionally abusive, or God forbid, physically abusive, you know, you have to separate from that person. Yes. Um, and I've we've I've had lots of sad stories I could tell you about people who didn't and ended up hurt. Yes, uh, including a you know very good uh, uh, friend of mine mm-hmm. uh, whose uh, adult son attacked her and hurt her pretty bad. So, and th- and this is you know this this is the stuff that hits the evening news. So we just want to make sure that all of our folks when they come in here. That it is not only uh, okay; it's uh, uh, it's necessary. Important yeah. that they uh, drop somebody who is looking to injure them. Doesn't matter what sort of family connection you have. Yeah, agreed. Well, you've given such suggestions uh, that are so real, Chris. Your story is just profound. Uh, it's really something, and I feel like you have had such you know life experiences that you now give back to helping so many, including just whoever is listening to this podcast, a lot of strong ideas um, in this beyond difficult life situation. No matter what, if you're the child, if you're the sibling, if you're um, the the father, the mother, it's, um, it's really important to listen to what, you know, suggestions are. They go a long way. So thank you so much. Well, it's, it's it's my pleasure, and uh, all the stuff I've done with NAMI, and 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 uh, I've also done uh, crisis. I'm a crisis counselor on the crisis text line. I was doing that for a while, and uh, all that stuff has just been enormously helpful to me at a personal level. And I get much more out of it than yeah. anyone else. That's so, important. You, know, you learn a lot, and mm-hmm. you sure help a lot. So. Yeah. 
Thank yeah, you it, so it, much. It yeah. Thank you for being with us today. Can't Thanks appreciate it enough for your candidness and insightfulness. My pleasure. Take care, Chris. Bye now. Bye-bye. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We welcome your input. To contact us or any of our guests, please email us at mail.com. That's mail.com. And please don't forget to like and share our podcast. Um, leave us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. We really want your feedback. It's important to us. We are so thankful that you are here and listening to us. If you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI Helpline at 1-800-950-6264. Until next time, please join us for another conversation behind our door. Thanks for listening.